Yeah, 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 yeah. Welcome to Footy Time. This is Johnny Raff, and round 16 has just been completed. What a round. Some really good games. Really good games. I think we're starting to see a big separation now between the games that you know that are going to be good and the games that are just going to be making up the round. Uh, look, there's no blaming any teams for that. That's just the way that it happens. But uh, we have some great games to talk about, and it's kind of difficult to know where to start. But we're going to start somewhere. And we're going to start right now. St. Peter opened up the pearly gates for the St. Kilda Footy Club and their fans on Friday night. They brought home a terrific win over the Blues at Marvel Stadium. I was extremely hard on the Saints last week. Uh, I'm not going to apologise for it though, because they were absolute crap against Sydney last week at the SCG, but somewhere deep inside, I did feel like they were capable of pulling out a performance like they did on Friday night, and they certainly did, and how, but we're going to get into what was different for the Saints, well, this is what the Saints are capable of, when they put in a four-quarter effort, this is definitely what they're capable of, it didn't come cheap, they lost a few players, Dougal Howard with a knee, Hunter Clark went down, they were without Ron Marshall towards the end of the game. He actually played a really good game. But they were brave and they stood up so well. Uh, there's a lot of good things to like about this performance. First of all, I think it's definitely time to lock in Jack Sinclair for a position on the halfback flank in the All-Australian team. I cannot stress enough how much I love watching this guy play. Uh 37 touches at 89% efficiency, 606 metres gained and 8 intercepts. If you're running at those numbers, you've played a very good game, no questions asked. Uh, I would love it if I could find one person to disagree with me on that, because I think it's unanimous that that is a brilliant game. Um, looking at the current contenders for, these con- for this kind of position in the All-Australian team, uh, James Sicily, Sam Doherty, Tom Stewart, and then Jack Sinclair himself. Can you fit all these guys in the same All-Australian backline? Maybe you can, uh, but I think it could be tough, and I think one of them may miss. I think despite Tom Stewart's great form before the suspension, I'm now starting to think that he might not be as much of a lock for All-Australian as he usually is, for instance. Uh, But, you know, that four games is probably going to hurt a bit. He may still make it, though. His 18 games may be better than anyone else's 20-odd. Well, yeah. But I reckon Jack Sinclair is a lock. Where Tom Stewart isn't quite now, I think Jack Sinclair is. He's a super important player. A lot of their attacks start... Through Sinclair, running, you know, with his dash and running through the middle, coming off halfback. He's a super important player for them. And, yeah, be looking forward to him featuring if the Saints can make finals this year. I think he's definitely a player you want to see in those big games. One of the key questions when facing St Kilda for any side is 
how are you going to approach playing Brad Hill? The obvious answer is usually to have someone tend to him. Not always a hard tag. I mean, that is an option, but you want someone who's just going to make him accountable, uh, cut down his angles, cut down his space, and make him do things that he wouldn't normally feel comfortable doing, like working in, in obviously, we're operating in tight space, if you can, or getting him onto uh, the higher pressure kick and things like that. But the idea to have Sam Walsh run with Hill in that first quarter, it's not an idea that you would poo-poo instantly. It's something that you might look at later and go, wow, that was a bit out of the box, but it seemed to work really well. Um, well, it didn't really work as well as I think <laughs> they were planning. In Just in the ways that it's a bit of a waste having someone like Walsh play that kind of role. I think, you know, he's a player of very high calibre, but and he is a running machine, but... He's not really a tagger. He's not a run-with guy. He's a ball winner at the end of the day, and he's very, very good at it. Hill needs to be closed down uh, because when he's in space, that's where he's the most damaging. But I just wasn't so sure if Walsh was the person to do it. He didn't stay on Hill, I think, after the first quarter. I can't remember who went to Hill, but obviously clamped down on him a bit harder and, and you know, did what was needed to be done in limiting his damage. But, yeah, I, I think it's just one of those things that if Michael Voss had his time again, he may not have he may not have pulled that lever. I don't know. He may have. I'm not sure. But I think someone like Sam Walsh really needs to just be focusing on what he does best. And, look, the other thing is the Carlton midfield does bat very deep. So I don't think that they've got a shortage of midfielders that could do this kind of role and, you know, run all day being accountable, making sure Hill doesn't get much of the ball or as much as you know, limit his damage. But yeah, I just thought it was, it was just a little bit strange to me. Um, Mr. Underrated, Cal Wilkie. I thought he was brilliant again. He's really, he's had a good season. Uh, Charlie Kerner has been in blistering form lately, as we all know. And I thought Wilkie did a really good job to curtail him. I think Kerner was inaccurate, but yeah, Made made life pretty difficult for him. He was he was able to keep up with him and yeah did a very good job. I think he's he's got to get some credit for that. As I said before, I thought Rowan Marshall was actually really good. I think he got about twenty two possessions and he took some really good contested marks. So uh, it really helps to have that get out of jail mark guy on your team when you're kicking down the line. And you know Marshall provided a really good option for that. Uh, yeah, it took a, a fair few contested marks. I'm not sure off the top of my head exactly how many he took, but uh, he was yeah, he was pretty pretty strong in the contest. So yeah, an excellent performance there for St Kilda. That's what we we're waiting for. Um, it was disappointing against Essendon two weeks ago. Uh, they then came out and <laughs> turned up what they did against the Swans and. I was saying last week, they've got a, another chance. You don't get that many second or third chances, but they have one here to make this big statement and get things back on track. And they did. They really dug in, and it was a fantastic performance. Guys like Membry, I thought, were really good. But yeah, this is what it's going to take for the Saints. Uh, and if they're going to go, if they're going to make finals and they're going to do any damage, I think that they've still got to find a little bit of a, a point of difference uh, I've always said with the Saints, and I like watching the Saints, but I've always said with them, I think what they do 
well. They do very well, but there are a few deficiencies still in this team. Playing the Dockers at Marvel next week, another massive test. If they come home with the chocolates in that one, well, certainly changes the narrative. This week, we have a return to one of my favourite segments, Blinders and Shockers. Uh, In this segment, we choose one player for the round that we thought had a blinder and was sensational. And we also counter that with a player that we thought had a shocker. We will try to be nice as much as possible, obviously. Uh, They're both from the same game. Now, I did actually write this as the game was still happening, and it was late in the fourth quarter. I did sort of feel like it was going a certain way, but it did not end up going that way. And you will know, and uh, fans of the winner of this team will know instantly which game I'm talking about. Yes, I'm talking about the Collingwood and Gold Coast game on Saturday night. I was really looking forward to this one, and it was it was a very good contest, and really looked like the Gold Coast Suns were going to make that statement. These are the games that they need to win to make this drive to a final eight spot. They're at home. They're playing a team in very good form in the pies. But this is the moment that they have to seize and just knock off a team like this. Look, what, when the, this is what playing finals is all about. It's really just rising to adversity here and, you know, staking a claim Unfortunately, the Suns were not able to do it. They were very inaccurate. Missed some great chances. And 12 points up with seven and a half minutes to go. Yeah, just just disappointing. Possibly the most disappointing team of the round. And Collingwood were able to pull it out with some very good late goals. And they are just a never-say-die team, really. They have improved tenfold since the start of the season. I think there's a lot to like about the way this team goes about their footy. But we get into the blinder part of this segment. And I'm going with Isaac Rankin here. So Rankin kicked four goals. And they were all good goals. When he plays like this, it's amazing to watch. Every touch is gold. You, 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 when he's around the ball, you think something, you know something's going to happen. We're starting to see a bit more of the Rankin that we thought we were going to get. I mean, I've often said how frustrated I was hearing about how Isaac Rankin broke out onto the scene in 2020. I was getting so sick and tired of hearing that. And, yeah, but look, those last few weeks, he's, he's really been quite damaging. and he's, he's doing what he's meant to be doing, and that's being a player who can turn the game. I thought if they could have just gotten him a few more scoring chances in that last quarter, he would have done enough to seal the game, because he was the one running hot. Um... But, the, yeah, like I said, they butchered too many chances uh, from Scholl and Casbolt. They have been very good for them this season. It's a real shame to see, but you'd hope that the Suns will be better for it next time around. You hope. We've said this a lot, but, yeah. Uh, it's a big loss for them. There's no getting away from that. But, yeah, that is my blinder of the week, Isaac Rankin. Yeah, it's very strange. Uh, my blind is from the losing side. My shocker is from the winning side. Send all the hate mail you want, Collingwood fans, footytime22 at gmail.com. <laughs> but look, my shocker of the week is Jordan Degoe. Yeah, what more can I say? Degoe was out of sorts on Saturday night. He looked like he had a lot on his mind, I think. That's just my opinion. I'm not a mind reader, but he just looked like a guy that, yeah, 
He just had a lot going through his head. Ten disposals, three tackles, no marks, no goals. I didn't really know where he, what position he was playing in this game. Uh, he got a few possessions out on the wing, a couple at half back. He seemed to fluff a lot of marks up forward as well. I don't know. I just really didn't like Jordan's game at all in this one. And if the Pies are going to do anything in this final series, yes, I have essentially locked them in for a finals appearance and possibly beyond now with their run home. But if they are going to do anything in this final series, then they need a fit and firing Jordan Degoe. There's no <laughs> there's no questions asked about that. So, George, you need to lift. I mean, it's... It's great to let your hair down during the break. If that's what you need uh, to come back and have a great second half of the season, then then do it. But, but yeah, what good is it if you're going to miss a game last week and then turn up this tripe the week after? I mean, maybe he could have benefited from the extra reps and a bit more training instead of that. But uh, I don't know. That's just a maybe. Disappointing, though. And, uh, yeah. But you've got to admit, with this Collingwood team, uh, they seem to ride on through any sort of adversity that they're facing this season, whether it be Grundy going down or these sideshows with Dugowie and you know guys like Ginevan and that. Um, I think that's the sign of a very good football team. I really do. And you know, no one wants to admit it, but Collingwood actually have an outside chance to make top four. Yeah. Six in a row will do that, especially in a season like this with a competition like this. We haven't forgotten about you, Bombers fans. We're going to talk about that great win on Saturday over the Swans at the MCG. What a fantastic win for Coach Ben Rutten and his group, who have been put through the ringer lately. Um, This was a really interesting game. The Swans kicked five of the first six goals and looked like they were going to cruise into another nice victory. Almost a month to the day after their big win over the Dees. But there was something different about this Dons team on Saturday, Arvo. Too many times this season we've seen them fold over and not be willing to hang tough long enough to really stay in contests like these. But not this time. They stuck at it with sheer determination and good old-fashioned hard work. And they were rewarded. I want to talk about the guy who I really want to see as the next Essendon captain. When prolific midfielders get heavy tags, you want to see them find a way through it and you know, just still find a way to damage, even if they're not finding as much footy as they may usually get. And Zach Minnerett showed how to do this. Uh, he was having a really good duel with Robottom. Uh, yeah, it was a really good duel all day. But Merritt sparkled when it counted. He ended up with 24 possessions at 71% efficiency, three goals, and really stepped it up in the last quarter to help his side to the victory. It's just another example of not being sucked into the high possession games that guys have, because you can get 30-plus possession games and spray it all day. But this was very much a quality over quantity game for Zach, and yeah, I really liked his game. I love the performances of Nick Hind, Mason Redman on the rebound from halfback in this game. It's something we haven't seen enough from Essendon this year, and it I don't know, it just seems to be something that I always thought was one of their strengths. And that goal from Redman outside 50 in the last quarter really set the tone for that quarter as well, along with Merritt. 
Uh, he's going to be a beauty. Uh, I really like the way he goes about his footy. We also got to see the first round pick, Ben Hobbs, get stuck in with uh, 19 possessions, 9 contested, and a goal for good measure. Might be a rising star nomination in it for him this week. Who knows? Uh, for the, Just on the Swans' perspective, well, it's just another case of nothing being certain in this competition right now. Uh, no one is up all the time. Most teams at the moment are winning one week and then getting knocked off the next. It is a real tough competition to back up week after week at the moment, uh, which is another reason why Collingwood six wins in a row are so impressive. So, yeah, it's just changing all the time. Uh, wanted to go to Ollie Florent for a second. Uh, I thought he had a game that he'd really like to forget. Um, he just had the eight touches. And H.B. Myers from Mungrel Punt mentioned that the Swans are actually 5-5 five and five when Florent has under 20 touches this season. They are 4-1 when he has more than that. So, yeah, we know he's a great talent. And... Yeah, he's just too good to be only getting the eight touches. The other thing I just want to quickly touch on in regards to this game, the Gold Coast and Collingwood game, and the Carlton and St Kilda game on Friday night. Um, and it's just a theory, but all three of these teams that lost had very good chances to put a gap on their opponents. Uh, we look at the uh, Carlton and St Kilda game on Friday night, pretty close. Uh, six goals seven to seven goals six the way of the Saints, uh, but Carlton came out in that third quarter and kicked one goal six. They also came out and kicked three goals five in the last quarter, so that's four goals eleven <laughs> for the second half. Really, I mean that's the game right there. You then look at the Gold Coast and Collingwood game. So Collingwood led 6-9 to Gold Coast 5-6 at halftime. And Gold Coast came out and kicked three goals, eight in the second half. Once again, I think it's fair to say that that really didn't help. And then we've got Sydney, who started very well. 5-2 to Essendon's 2-2. Halftime was 7-6-7-2. And in that third quarter, Sydney kicked no goals and 11 behinds. That hurts. That really, really hurts. So, all three of these teams had set themselves up for good professional victories over all of these teams. Um, but they weren't able to do it. And I don't want to make this sound like a really simplistic view about goal kicking being the only reason why a team loses a game of footy. But this really is the multiplier when it comes to results at the moment. We're not asking for perfection, but we are asking for improvement. And often it is just a case of converting two or three more of those chances into goals. So, yeah, we've got to think about the reasons for why this is. I know that it's just sort of just the way the game is at the moment, but I'm going to go back to the loading principle. So for the better teams in the comp. The team's fighting it out for posting the eight. I've talked a lot about this principle for the last few weeks, and you're probably all getting sick of me banging on about it, like it's some new whiz-bang thing. But I do feel that there is some merit to this theory, especially when it comes to teams in the eight. It's a long season, and with the amount of running these guys do during games now, 
there really isn't a way to preserve energy at the pointy end of the season without having a modified training program with things like timing of the training loads and just when, you know, all about when, not so much what, but when certain training happens throughout the season. It does seem like if you are a team in that top four, even down to eighth or around about that position, the wise option is to increase the training loads now and get those reps in the bank and then taper these loads late in the season to give yourself the best chance to give everything in those last few home and away season games and obviously the finals. The eight is very log jammed at the moment with teams not only fighting for a place in the eight, but realistically, all the teams down to St Kilda and Sydney can still make it to the top four if things fell their way. So yeah, the top spot's def- top four spot is definitely on offer for these teams. So with this being said, Carlton, Gold Coast and Sydney, those teams, could any of these teams be loading right now? And are these results of inaccuracy that possibly cost them these games, are those results a, a result of this loading? You know, poorly executing the shooting for goal skills, is that part of it? Probably not. It's probably not as simple as that. But, you know, as I said before, it's been a problem for what feels like a very long time now in the AFL. But it's another possible factor that could be part of this whole issue which is an issue that obviously isn't just going to have one factor, if that makes sense. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. That's just some food for thought. It could be completely off base, but I'm just wondering, you know, there's a few teams there that are fighting it out for these spots and, you know, uh, is fatigue setting in right now because of this these training loads? I don't know, but you know, we'll see uh, if things improve later in the season, obviously. Does North Melbourne need a priority pick? Yes, they do. I'm going to follow on from that last comment about that logjam in the top eight and top four. We have been a little bit all over the place today, but that's all right. We're getting there. Um, I'm thinking that we could start a segment from now until the end of the season called the top eight, top four watch or something along those lines. Uh, what we'll do is we'll look at all the teams in contention for these finals positions and project their chances with their run home. I've got a feeling this will literally change week to week and anyone trying ladder predictions will be wasting their time. But uh, yeah, let's uh, just get the magnifying glass out on some of these teams. Um, And this week I want to look at Frio uh, because we've been so impressed with the Dockers this year. Uh, And yeah, they played some great footy. Very well drilled. But have the last two weeks exposed some chinks in the armour there? They were beaten by the Blues last week and looked good for a lot of this game before switching off against Port in that last quarter. And the power ended up kicking five goals to Frio's one. This was also the first time this season that Frio conceded over 90 points this season. But is it real or is it overreaction? Are we concerned for Frio? The answer is not right now. Even great teams with brilliant defences are allowed to have an off day. I think for most of this game, Freo really bossed the midfield and we're just more physical and winning contested footy than Port. Uh, but the reason why I say not right now is because it could be. Their run home is very, very tough. The next month, they've got the Saints, Swans, Tigers and Ds. And... 
All eyes are probably going to be on this Saints game at Marvel this week. St Kilda will be buzzing after their great win over the Blues and Frio return to the scene of their capitulation against the Blues only two weeks earlier. I'd want to see Frio get it done here. I want to see them prove that there's absolutely nothing to worry about there. Because if it doesn't happen, our convo will be a bit different next week. <laughs> Trust me on that. Uh, you know, you've, you've gone to Marvel, you've lost to Carlton, you get a patchy win over the power at home, and then you go <laughs> to that grid again, and if they get done there again, well, yeah, it'll be a different story. But I really want to see what's going to happen in that one. Because there is a tough run home, and that tough run could actually benefit them in a way. Because I kind of have this belief you've got to be battle-hardened going into finals. And you want to play some good opposition. You don't really want to have all your easy run in those last few games, I reckon. I just don't think it prepares you that well. But we will see. I think that's going to be that's going to be a really good game to watch. That's the one, I reckon. We're also going to talk about this Thursday night blockbuster down at the Cattery, where Melbourne will head down the highway to take on the Cats, who are purring at the moment. It's a 1v2 clash. I'm pretty sure round 23 last year was a one versus two clash as well. Uh, yeah, interesting to check on that. Uh, it's going to be a beauty. Can Melbourne extend their lead at the top of the ladder, or can the Cats bring them back to the top four pack and make things even more uncertain in this competition right now? Oh, jeez. There are going to be some tense times coming. I'm not sure who is favourite currently in this game right now, and there's... A lot of ways you can look at this. It's a, a really interesting match whenever these two teams play each other. They're quite different. And there was definitely the one team that I was really scared of facing last year. <laughs> but obviously thrilled at how we overcame those challenges. But I felt like that was the team that we really needed to beat last year to win the flag. Uh, but yeah, the one thing I'm looking at in particular for this game right now is this. It's a five-day break for both teams. Geelong are coming off a training drill against the Roos on Saturday night with a forward line that is now buzzing. You know, if Cameron won't get you, Hawkins will, and vice versa. Uh, Tomahawk was very quiet against the Tigers the week before. He barely got a kick, I think. And then this week just came out and bang, six goals. Uh, you got Cameron, who's been in great form himself, and yeah, a nightmare matchup. You got Stengel doing his thing. I think he chipped in with another two on the weekend. There's just a bunch of guys in this side who can kick goals. And I think this is the best forward line in the game right now. And as mentioned, they've come off pretty much a bruiseless game against the Roos. So they should be very fresh. Uh, Melbourne, on the other hand, has had a very physical encounter with the Crows on the same night at Adelaide Oval. Plenty of players getting knocks in that game. Luke Jackson was out just before it. Uh, not sure what the situation is with, with him right now. Uh, Max may return, but we'll see how that foot goes. Uh, they're saying that he should be back, but uh, they're coming off a very grueling game against the Crows. And in contrast to Geelong, Melbourne's forward line is not running great right now. <laughs> uh, it's not horrible, and you could say it's getting the job done, but we're still lacking decent connection between midfield and forward, I would think. Uh, Fritch, Ben Brown, they're trying hard, but there's still a lot of reliance on the goal sneaks and the midfield goals at the moment for Melbourne. Mitch Brown wasn't too bad, but 
they're going to need the same from him this week. They're going to really need uh, a few focal points with these tools. Um, I'm not trying to do a reverse jinx or anything here right now, but at this stage of the week, I think Geelong are a good chance in this game, and if I was tipping right now, I would actually tip them in this game. Uh, obviously, that will change on Thursday, but uh, it may or may not. Who knows? But uh, I would be tipping Geelong right now if I had to make a tip right now uh, because they just seem a little bit more settled in their lineup at the moment. Uh, Melbourne uh, moving the magnets a bit and trying to get this forward set up right. If Max is back, is he going to play up forward? I'm not actually that crash hot on this. I mean, you know, Max can definitely do a job up forward, but I've just got this funny feeling it's going to lead to a bit more bombing the ball into the 50. There's very little option right now for Melbourne, and he's probably going to have to spend some minutes up forward. But, yeah, I think we're up against it this week. It's a big, big challenge. We can definitely win it, but I wouldn't be surprised if we don't, and this game, like many to come, will send shockwaves through the top eight. Uh, Collingwood play North. If they win by enough, they could boost their percentage a fair bit to get around the mark of those other top four challenges. Uh, Carlton should win against West Coast. And Gold Coast and Richmond, another big one. Uh, I think this is make or break for the Suns. They've fluffed their first challenge, which was Collingwood. If they can somehow knock off Richmond, maybe they pull themselves back into contention. But this one's make or break. I think if Richmond get them, I reckon that's, that's it for them. I think they're... Uh, they'll be behind the eight ball. And, uh, yeah, that's my two bobs worth on the top four, top eight situation. Uh, St Kilda can uh, get back into the eight by putting one over the Dockers, as we mentioned before. And the Bulldogs play the Sydney Swans. And, really, uh, top four is beyond the Bulldogs now. I mean, it probably was a long time ago. But I still give them a shot for the eight. And, yeah. I mean, there's another statement game. This round is, once again, littered with statement games. So, yeah, tune in again next week when we will probably be saying everything in reverse because everything will be changed. <laughs> That's pretty much all we've got time for this week. Um, yeah, don't have a lot more to say for the moment. Um, we do actually have a fan mail question on the Gmail account. So, yeah, I actually haven't seen this yet, so we'll just do this off the cuff. Hey, John, really enjoy your show. I've just got two questions for you. Who do you think is the greatest tackler of all time? And who do you think is the best tackler currently? And that one is from Ben F. Hmm. That's a really good question, Ben. Uh, I, I had actually been planning to do a segment called the top five greatest tackles of all time uh well and by all time i sort of mean in the afl era but yeah i haven't given this a hell of a lot of thought apart from uh what was involved in in doing that segment but uh look off the top of my head i'd probably say someone like tony liberatore was probably one of the very best tackles i'd seen uh yeah i mean he got about 100 tackles in a season, eight years in a row. And this was kind of the time when tackling wasn't really as in vogue as it is now. I mean, I'm not really a... um, Like, I really don't know much about cricket, but uh, I kind of liken it a little bit, from what I've heard, I liken it a little bit to 
the old days of cricket, I, I hear that fielding was kind of more of a a thing that you just sort of didn't. You didn't really pay much attention to. You didn't do extra training on it. But these days, uh, it seems like the Australian cricket team, that's like <laughs> they put heaps of time and effort into that. Uh, and, you, yeah, you see a lot of good fielding and run outs and, uh, yeah, just, just really uh, it's improved a lot. I feel like tackling is a very similar thing. I think in the um, well, in the eighties and nineties and that, I think you had big, strong guys who were able to tackle. But I don't think there was that much emphasis put on, uh, you know, achieving the perfect technique or uh, you know repeat tackles and things like that. Uh, and you know, it's just much needed at the moment with the the way that the game has evolved in terms of pressure and being able to force turnovers. It's that's the way the game is right now. But I think in Libba's case, I think what made it really impressive was that the guy was like 165 centimetres. I mean, to put that in context, that's about four or five centimetres shorter than Caleb Daniel, who is the smallest player in the competition currently. So, yeah, he he gave it everything. He gave it his all. He was a very dogged uh, tackler, sometimes maybe not always the fairest tackler, but you know, he did win a Brownlow as well. So, yeah, he was a super player. And, yeah, he was just, he had so much will. He just had an iron will, Liber. And he was, yeah, just the epitome of that kid with a dream. Like, he's like, you know, Rocky in a sense. It's just a, a guy that lived on people telling him that he couldn't make it because it just spurred him on. It was fantastic. Uh, some of the others I think about would be uh, a guy like Lenny Hayes, I thought was a super tackler. Uh, Jude Bolton at Sydney, especially during the uh, the Ruse era, uh, he was a ferocious tackler. He really sort of pinned the arms and just got them to the ground. It was uh, always fun watching Jude Bolton lay on a, a great tackle. Um, as for today's best tackler, again, I'll be doing this off the top of my head, but I think I, th- I really like someone like Jack Steele. I think he's just a, a real ferocious tackler. He's he's strong in the hips, and he, he's just... Yeah, you don't get very far if you try to take someone like Jack Steele on. Uh, yeah, those would be my choices for best tacklers of the current game. Um, yeah, next time I promise I'll have a bit more of a detailed think about it because I'm sure there's some names I'm missing out. But uh, yeah, off the top of my head, those would be my choices. That's all we got this week. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we've got round 17 coming up next week. And, jeez, yeah, that's the last quarter of the season before the finals. Yeah, it's it's time to start the running. And, yeah, it's time to start talking about things like Brownlow medals and uh, Coleman medals and all sorts of medals, rising stars, all Australian teams, all of these things. They're going to be coming up pretty shortly. I can't believe how quickly it's flown by. But uh, yeah, it's it's been a great season so far and I'm sure there's still more to come. But thanks for tuning in. Hopefully your team does well this week. There's some great games and hopefully your team comes up trumps. Thanks for listening. See you later.